0: You ever struggle remembering things, you walk into a room, try to remember why you walked in. Pick up your phone. This is my big one. I pick up my phone to send myself an email. I email myself all day long. It might sound weird, but that's how, that's my my information capturing tool. And then when I get to my office, I put it in the right spot in my um, task and and management and time management systems. But if I'm out somewhere, I'll email today on the way home from church. I told my wife, email me. We need to have lunch with this family. We need to to meet this couple. They've been coming. We need to uh, get a chance to get some time with them. I had her email me, and I'll pull my phone out to email myself and there will be a text message waiting for me, or a notification or something that pops up. I'll answer that text message and then totally forget what I was going to email myself. Anybody do anything like that? You, you forget some things? I heard about a, uh, a couple a couple that was in their 80s, and they were starting to struggle with remembering things. I think this computer that God's given us, we call a brain, the older we get, the more pieces of information that gets in there, and sometimes the data retrieval system gets a little bit uh, slower the more stuff that's been loaded in there, and they were starting to struggle with remembering some things. So, they decided to go to the doctor just to make sure everything was okay, and uh, make sure that there wasn't anything to be concerned with, with their memory loss and their struggles there. So, they went, and the doctor did some tests, and... He did some scans and he came back and he said, Good news. He said, "Uh, There's nothing you need to be worried about. You don't have any major thing. It's really just as your brain gets more information through the years. It happens to everybody. You start to maybe forget some things here or there, or it's a little harder to recall it. He said, Here's what I'd encourage you to do. If you want to make sure you remember something, get a piece of paper out and just write it down. And so always have with you a, a pad of paper and a pen and write it down to make sure you don't forget it. And so they got home that night from the doctor and and uh, the, uh, the, the uh, husband and wife were sitting there, and they were watching TV, and, and the husband got up to go to the kitchen. And the wife said, what are you going to the kitchen for? He said, I'm going to go get me a bowl of ice cream. And she said, well, I'd like a bowl of ice cream. Can you go get me one of those? And he said, sure, i will be happy to. And, and the wife said to the husband, honey, remember what the doctor said? Write it down. Write it down. I'm going to get a bowl of ice cream. You want a bowl of ice cream? That's not hard to Remember? She said, well, you know how I like my ice cream. I always like a little whipped cream on there, put a little whipped cream on it. Can you get me some whipped cream on it? He said, yeah, I'll get you some whipped cream. Honey, doctor said, make sure so we don't forget, write things down so we don't forget it. He said, I don't need to write that down. You want a bowl of ice cream with whipped cream? She said, well, that's not all. We got the hot hot fudge in there. I'd like a little bit of hot fudge on there, and and maybe some sprinkles, and a little cherry. You know how I like my ice cream sundae. We've been married for a long time, and, and she said, would you get me all of that? He said, I'd be happy to. She said, honey better write it down. And he said, I don't need to write that down. I've been getting that for you for decades. Ice cream with whipped cream, with hot fudge sauce, with sprinkles, with a cherry on top. And she continues watching TV. He goes into the kitchen, and he's in there for a minute or two. All of a sudden, she hears pots and pans clanging and banging in there, and he's in there for five or ten minutes. It's 15, 20 minutes. She's thinking, what in the world did he do? What's he doing in there? She's hearing all this noise, all this commotion. Finally, he comes back out, and he comes, and he brings her a a platter, and he sets it down in front of her, and it's a plate of scrambled eggs. There's bacon. There's oatmeal. There's a glass of orange juice. She looks at it. She looks at him. She looks back at it. She says, I told you to write it down. You forgot my toast. (laughs) And I don't know if you've ever been there where you struggle to remember some things, but tonight's message... I want to bring you a message entitled, A Good Christian Needs a Bad Memory. This series—this is week number two in this Sunday evening series I've entitled Counseling Classics. It's just things that—truths that that, that I have seen through the years come up quite a bit in different counseling things. Um, The first one was how to get to chapter 42 when you're walking through trials in life, things that we can learn. And and they are are passages or principles that that I've pointed people to often in dealing with certain individual struggles, and it was probably a year or two ago as I was counseling, and I found some of the same passages. of the same principles, some of the same things coming up, and I would say, oh, go listen to this message, or read this passage, or here's a book that hits on that topic, and a lot of the same themes started coming up, and I thought, I'm going to preach a series of six or seven or eight messages on some of these things that I have found over and over again that have seemed to be a help to some folks, and we're going to look at a message entitled, A Good Christian Needs a Bad Memory. I want you to read, I love this passage. Philippians chapter number 3, I didn't tell you where to turn yet, did I? Go to Philippians chapter number 3, if you will. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and I believe in this passage we see a lot about the mind of Paul, the heart of Paul, and if I could say it this way, the secret of Paul's spiritual success. I think we see a lot of it in here. We're going to look at several other statements that Paul made in some of his other writings. But we see Paul, I think we would all agree, Paul a man mightily used of God. Maybe if we were trying to measure it, humanly speaking, which the Bible says comparing yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. This isn't a race. I'm not trying to beat you. I'm trying to run my race, and you need to run your race, so it's not a competition. But if we were to look at external metrics, I don't know that there are more than a handful of people that have ever walked the face of the earth that that we're aware of that have been used in mightier ways than the Apostle Paul. Uh, he was he was used to write more books of the Bible than anyone else in Scripture. He was used to bring the Gospels to the Gentiles, literally, if we were to trace — if you're a Gentile, you received Christ in the Western world — if you were to trace your salvation back, you could probably trace it back to, to somewhere in Paul's missionary journeys here in the New Testament. I mean, his his influence still lives on today through the inspired writings of, of Scripture and through his missionary work uh, there in the first century. Paul, an amazingly used man of God, but the truth is, just as we would probably not uh, argue over the fact that Paul was amazingly used, we probably wouldn't argue over the fact that if anybody had a reason to believe he shouldn't be used, or to struggle with some regrets in his past, to struggle with some guilt and some shame— and some condemnation of wasted years and wasted actions and things, sinful things that he did that he wishes weren't a part of his story, we probably would say that, that Paul would be up there on that list, too. We're going to see some things from Paul here in this passage and a few other, uh, other verses that I'll, I'll bring to you tonight about how is it that a man with the past that he had was able to be used in the ways that he was. Philippians chapter number three, beginning in verse number 10. Would you read verse 10 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. I think that first phrase, those first five words, really gives a little bit of the secret of Paul's success. His whole life was about that I may know him. That's my purpose. In another place, he said it this way, that in all things Christ might have the preeminence. Look at verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. I'm trying to make my life count for God. Would you read verse 13 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." Verse 14 shows us another secret to his success, if you will. He had a target. He knew why he was on earth. He knew what he was living for. It wasn't, let me try this for a couple of years, and let me try that, and let me try this worldly pleasure, and let me try this selfish pursuit, and then let me give religion a try a little bit, and let me go over here. No, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I have a target that I'm aiming for, and by the way, and Timothy, he comes and he says, "I've the time of my departure is now at hand, I've fought a good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished my course. He said, I have a race I'm running, a, a goal line that I'm pointing to and by God's grace, Paul made it there. And then look at verse number 15. Let us therefore, you've heard me say it, if the word therefore, you should look to see what it's therefore because of what I just said, let us, not just me, let us therefore, as many as be perfect or complete in Christ. Notice what he says here, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this, Unto you. many good, we could preach a whole series just from this passage of five verses we just read today about, about the things that 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 made Paul tick. But he said that I may know him. I want to know Christ. I, I want him to use me. I want my life to count. I want to bring honor and glory. I press toward the mark. I want to do those things. I want to finish my course with joy. I want to get there. And then he challenges the church at Philippi. And I believe, in in turn, he challenges, because God preserved it in the canon of Scripture, he challenges every one of us that would come behind, let us, therefore, be thus-minded. Let's have the same purpose, the same mind, the same thoughts that Paul did, but I believe tucked in this little passage, I believe there is a key to all of this, to knowing him, to finishing your course, to your life counting for God. Yes, knowing him. Yes, aiming at the right target matters. Yes, persevering. But our message comes from a little phrase in verse 13, six little words. You see it there in verse 13, starting with the word forgetting forgetting those things which are behind. Would you say those six words aloud with me? Forgetting those things which are, one more time, forgetting those things which are, Paul said, I figured something out. A good Christian needs a bad memory. Oh, I press toward the mark, I, I've got something. By the way, he said, this one thing I do, I'm focused, I, my priorities are right, they're in order. This one thing I do, and then he went and he gave us two phrases. This one thing I do, and then he said two different phrases, Do you see it there. He said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. That sounds like these two things I do. But I believe Paul understood that these two things went hand in hand. You're not going to reach forth to those things which are before if you're constantly looking back to those things which are behind. Well, how did Jesus say it? No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You can't constantly stare at your past if you're going to have a future that would bring honor and glory to God. And Paul said, this one thing I do, and then he gave us two things, forgetting those things which are behind. I have to do that so that I can reach forth unto those things which are before. A good Christian needs a bad memory. If you and I are going to be the Christians that God wants us to be, there are going to need to be some things that we're going to need to forget. cannot reach forth if we're clinging to things behind us. I want to give you three things that we see in this passage and in some of Paul's other writings that I believe give us a little insight. What is Paul talking about? Because he says these things. What things is he talking about? I think he gives us a little insight in the passage here, and I think some of his other writings give us some insight. What things, if we're going to live a joyful life, a life that matters, a life that counts for God, if we're going to press toward the mark, what are some things we're going to have to learn? to forget, and and through counsel and through talking with people, I see sometimes these are the things that hold them back and or trip them up. Number one, I would suggest to you, if we're going to be the Christian that God wants us to be, number one, we're going to have to learn to forget past failures. Forget past failures, why? They lead to condemnation. Past failures lead to condemnation. We ought to be challenged by past failures, not condemned by them. Sometimes even working with teenagers and young people, and the, and the uh, psalmist said, Remember not the sins of my youth. What is he saying? My past failures, sometimes that I, when I was young and dumb, and I do those things, they, they kind of hold me back. I don't know if God can really use me because I and, and the psalmist said, Remember not the sins of my youth. Help me to forget those past failures. Why? Because they lead to condemnation. From Paul's own words in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 17, what is did he say? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a, what? New creature. What did he say? Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. What is he saying? I've had to learn to forget my past failures. In Christ, I'm a new creature. Old things are passed away. That which was behind me is not going to paralyze me, and all things are become new. If anybody had a past, it was Paul, especially when his name was Saul. And what did he say? When I got saved, God forgave all of that, and I've had to learn to forget those things which are behind. What did he say to the Romans in Romans 8 verse number one? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There is therefore—it doesn't say there is therefore now not much condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. Satan would love for you to continually analyze your past in order to paralyze your future. For, for, and by the way, if we continually analyze our past, we will paralyze our future. God has forgiven you. Why can't you forgive you? I'll meet with folks sometimes, and myself included at times, and and well, God can't use me because of this, and God can't use me because of that. And God, well, Paul could have said the exact same thing. And and but we but God, if we believe the Bible is true, God has forgiven us. We all have a past, we all have failures, we all have regrets, we've all made mistakes. There is no one that God has ever used that didn't have things in their past that they wish they could change, and we convince ourselves that God can't use us because of our past mistakes as the songwriter said that's what grace is for by the way, I'm not condoning ongoing sin or justifying carnality in the Christian's life and just saying, well, it doesn't matter. Live, you know, live it it up. Live in sin. The Mardi Gras kind of idea that that I'm going to just do whatever I want. Live in every sin. God's forgiven. It's under the blood. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What does the Bible say? God forbid. No, no. This isn't a blanket statement of, well, it's it's under the blood. It's forgiven so I can live. No, the the, the grace of God leads us to repentance. It's the grace of God that teaches us to live so soberly and righteously in this present world, Titus chapter number two. It's the love of Christ that constraineth us. No, this isn't a a free pass, a hall pass to go do whatever your your flesh desires. What it is, is a reminder that if you know Christ is Savior, you don't have to live under the condemnation of that past sin. That sin, past, present, and future was nailed to the cross and has been paid for once and for all. Don't let your past paralyze your future. Forget past failures. I'm reminded what the psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, so hath he removed our transgressions from us. Church family, God can use Moses the murderer, but he can't use you. God can use Noah the drunk, but he can't use you. God can use David the adulterer, but not you. He can use Peter, the denier, but not you. He can use Paul, the persecutor, but not you. Paul who said, I am the chiefest of sinners, oh, wretched man that I am. And we look and say, Paul is a hero of the faith, and you know what Paul said? Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners, oh, wretched man that I am. The stuff I want to do, I don't do, the stuff I don't want to do, I do. Who shall deliver me from the the body of this death? Who shall deliver me from this? Paul struggled with his own sin and with his own past, but you know what he said in Philippians chapter number three? forgetting those things which are behind I can't do anything to change what I did yesterday I can only change where I'm looking and where I'm going today and tomorrow Paul had to forget his past to move forward in the future before he could reach forth he had to forget those things which were behind Satan is the accuser the condemner the devourer God is the forgiver the restorer the new life giver Satan will tell you, you're not good enough. He'll say, look back at what you've done and who you've been, and you know what you need to do? You need to look at him and say, you're exactly right, I'm not good enough, but it's not about me, it's about him. It's not about my goodness, it's about his righteousness. It's not about my messed up works, it's about His finished work. It's not about my imperfections, it's about His perfection. No, you're right, you're right, accuser of the brethren, I'm not good enough and I never will be, I never can be, but I don't need to be, because He was everything that I needed Him to be. It's about the righteousness imputed of Christ that's imputed in our lives. And so what is it in your past that you're allowing to define your present and your future? What is it that you look back and say, well, and by the way, there are consequences to our actions. There are some things that we'll struggle with, maybe, for, maybe and, and, things and, and, and consequences to those things. God forgives sins. He doesn't relieve consequences. There may be things, scars, as, as in the Old Testament, you may walk with a limp because of some things in your life, whatever that, may, that spiritual limp might be. That, that's true. But what is it in your past that God has forgiven, but you can't forgive? God has forgiven you, but you can't move forward. You you dwell in that. You live in condemnation. You live under guilt and under shame. God could never use me because fill in the blank. You know what Paul said? And by the way, I think Paul could have lived there. He put Christians to death. You know what Paul said? He said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind— And reaching forth to those things which are before. Number two, talk to me now. Number one, forget past what, church? Forget past? Number two, if you're going to be the Christian God wants you to be, you're going to have to learn to forget past successes. That's a weird one, isn't it? Forget past successes. Why? They lead to complacency. Rejoice in past victories, but don't revel in them. Forget past successes. Paul had already accomplished an incredible amount. And what did he say in verse number 12? Look at what he says in verse number 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Look what he says. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. What did Paul say? I really haven't done much for Jesus, but I'm trying. I'm pressing toward the mark. Paul, the one who, who, who wrote more books of the Bible than anyone else, said, haven't done much. Paul, the one who went around and everywhere he went, new churches were planted, and believers were saved, and lives were changed. Paul, who, who turned the world, along with the other disciples, turned the world upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you know what he said? I'm not there yet. What does that teach us? I believe just from the context of this passage, some of the things that Paul was saying, if I'm going to, if I'm going to press toward the mark, if I'm going to finish my course with joy and with purpose, I believe Paul is saying I'm going to have to learn to forget some past successes because they'll lead me to complacency. Look at what I've done. I'll just sit around and talk about the good old days. No, as one preacher said, if you think you've arrived, you probably ain't even left yet. None of us has arrived as followers of God. So we don't live in condemnation, but we also ought not live in complacency. We can't live off yesterday's victories. We can't feed off yesterday's manna. The Christian life is a daily endeavor. His mercies are new every what? We can't live off of yesterday's mercies. They're new every morning, church. I die daily, Paul said. Paul said, I have to die again today to my flesh. Why? Because my flesh is strong, and, and I lived in the Spirit. I walked in the Spirit yesterday, but I can't live off of yesterday's successes. Uh, today I could become a castaway. Today I have to bring my body under subjection. Today I have to get that manna. In the Old Testament, the manna had to be gathered every day. It wasn't good for tomorrow. What I heard in church last Sunday isn't good for tomorrow. I've got to open up God's word for myself, and that's that time I spent with the Lord, and teenager, that time, that sweet time at teen camp where God spoke to your heart, it's not good enough for the whole year. Oh no, we have to forget those past successes and realize today I need that spiritual manna. Today I need that walk with God. Today I need that relationship. Give us this day our daily bread. Some Christians aren't accomplishing anything for God today because they're too busy thinking about and talking about all that they ca- accomplished in the good old days. If you have life and breath, God wants you to be fruitful and profitable today. Well, I used to sing in the choir, and I used to lead folks to Christ, and I used to give to special offerings, and I used to be faithful. I used to serve. A good Christian needs a bad memory, not as though I had apprehended, neither were already perfect. I count not myself to have apprehended. I have not attained. Oh, did God use me to make a difference a year ago, or five, or ten, or twenty? I'm going to go ahead and rejoice in those past victories. If I saw God work in a great way in and through my life, uh, whenever that was, I'm going to rejoice in that, but I'm not going to revel in that. I'm not going to sit around and just, well, I've done my duty, I've done my time. If we're still here, He's still giving us time, and He wants us to make an impact for Him. He's not done with you yet. We have to forget past failures, but I think we also have to forget past successes, That time with God, that that walk with God, the the working of God in your life a year ago, five, ten, isn't enough for today. You need it again tomorrow. It's a relationship. It would be like me saying, well, I gave my wife a Christmas present and an anniversary present when we first got married, our first year anniversary, I took her somewhere, and I joked this morning, it's not really a joke, we're not going to be together on our anniversary, I'll be coaching basketball two hours away, we won't be together, but I've already lined up in two weeks, I've already lined up a full day with her, and we're going to do some things, and it would be like, well, it's our 22nd anniversary. I've, I've, I've done stuff for her for 21 years. I think we're good. She knows I love her. 21 years. You add up all of that, I've probably spent thousands and thousands of dollars in gifts and in restaurants and, and in, 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 in trips and things for anniversary. That's enough, isn't it, Pat? I don't need to do anything this year, do I? Or do you think I need to forget those past successes? Greg, you listen. I hope you're listening over here, all right? No wife would say that's okay oh yeah, you did that for me years ago. That's good. You were a good husband back then. No, that relationship requires investment and energy and commitment and dedication today. And we can look back at some wonderful times we've enjoyed together. There's nothing wrong with looking back at those, but I can't say, well, I've, I've, I've done enough. I've, been, I've tried to be a good husband for, for years. Now I think that's enough. Oh no, that relationship requires ongoing love and commitment, and service, and investment. Why is it any different in our relationship with God? Forget past successes. And then lastly, lastly, I want us to turn to two other places on this point. Forgetting past hurts. Forgetting past hurts. They lead to caution and cynicism. When we get hurt sometimes, well, I guess I'm not gonna love people anymore. I'm just gonna get hurt again. We need to learn to benefit from past hurts, not grow bitter because of them. You say benefit? What did Paul say in this passage? What does he say in verse number 10? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, notice this, and the fellowship of his sufferings. I need to learn to find the benefit of pain, of hurt. When I I suffer, when I struggle, you know what? There's an opportunity for me to be more like Christ. Christ. If you will, turn with me to, to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. We're going to look at two spots here, other places that Paul, where Paul wrote or Paul uh, was speaking. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. What is Paul saying when he says, forgetting those things which are behind Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians. What did he experience in living for God? Sometimes we allow our past hurts to cause us to put up a wall and stop living for God. Well, I got done wrong by a pastor. And by the way, I'm not minimizing that. There are people in this room, I, I've probably done some people wrong, but there are people in this room that have been done in, in maybe criminally way, criminal ways wrong by a pastor or a, a spiritual leader. I can't trust pastors anymore, or I can't trust Christians, or I can't live for God. God did me wrong. He didn't answer that prayer. What had Paul gone through? Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. He says, I speak as a fool because he said, I'm bragging on myself, which is a, a dumb thing to do, but I'm just trying to tell you my testimony. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. I don't know that that would describe any of our Christian journeys. Of the Jews, five times received I, 40 stripes, save one. I'm not trying to be humorous. I don't know of anybody. I've never personally, I know there are people in other countries. I've never personally met a Christian that has received a scourging or or a beating for for their witness. Verse 25, thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. This thing of following God doesn't sound like very much fun in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings, in hunger, thirst, fastings, cold, nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. This thing of following God is a life of some real burden, some real pain, some real hurt, some real disillusionment. Am I become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth, the very people that I gave my life to have turned their backs on me. Those that I served with, co-laborers, have forsaken me, Paul could have said. And yet, you know what Paul said? Forgetting those things which are behind What was he talking about? I think when you read that passage and some of his other writings, Paul was saying, I've had to learn to forget past hurts, because if I don't, I'm going to put a wall up and I'll never serve joyfully again. Uh, He he said, forgetting those things which are behind, he had to learn to forget past hurts. Look in Acts chapter 20, the last place we'll turn. I want you to see Paul, what he had to say here, Acts chapter number 20, beginning in verse number 18, Paul speaking here in Acts chapter number 20, in verse number 18. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, you know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, you know how I served you from the first day you met me. Here's what I've tried to do. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait way the Jews. I've been done wrong. I've been hurt. I kept back nothing from you that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly. And from house to house, I've taught you publicly. I've taught you privately. I've taught big groups. I've invested in small groups. I've gone and and invested in individuals, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks. I've I've tried to love everybody. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. No, look what he says in verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Here's the only thing I know save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. All I know is that serving God is going to be hard. That's what Paul said. It's been hard, and it's going to be hard, and I want you to see his spirit here. He'd been hurt much. Look at verse 24. Let's read it aloud together. Ready? Begin. But none of these things move me, Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Here's what he said, all I know is I've been hurt, and I'm going to be hurt, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. He's just rephrasing what he said to the church at Philippi. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before, I'm going to forget the past hurts so that I can finish my course with joy. By the way, may I say, you only get to do one of those. You get to sit there and sit in your past hurts, or you get to finish your course with joy. You can't do both. You get to sit around and think about how you've hurt people and how people have hurt you. And by the way, if you live for any length of time, you will be hurt. You have been hurt. You will hurt people. It's unavoidable. But the only way to finish with joy is to forgive and forget your hurts. When you're hurt, it's natural to grow cautious and cynical. Put up a wall of protection so you're not hurt again. We'll be careful about ever loving or helping others for fear of being hurt. We must get past this because we will not be able to finish our course with joy. If we're going to do that, we're going to have to learn to forget some things. We must get past it. Sometimes people get hurt at church and they quit. They get hurt at home and they leave. They get hurt by a friend, and they put up a wall. They get hurt by family, and they run. Those that Paul had led to Christ went astray, but what did he do? He kept leading people to Christ. Those that he preached to turn on him, but what did he do? He kept preaching to people. Those that he loved, they falsely accused him, but what did he do? He kept loving people. And by the way, you say, well, you don't know what I've been through. I don't, but I know what Paul had been through. And he said, none, none, not some, not a few, none of these things move me. Neither count on my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course course with joy. I can sit around and be justified in my bitterness, in my cynicism, in my criticism because of who hurt me, or I can finish my course with joy. I can't do both. If we're going to finish our course with joy, we're going to have to learn to forget some things. Past failures, why? Because they lead to condemnation. Be challenged by them, convicted by them, not condemned by them. Past successes, they can lead to complacency. Rejoice in them, don't revel in them. Past hurts, they can lead to caution and cynicism. That's a a cynical, being cynical as a Christian is a terrible place to live. Benefit from them, don't grow bitter from them. What did Paul say? Continue on, continue thou in the things that you've learned, Timothy. Press on, press toward the mark. And by the way, what do we say in the American culture? We say we need to learn to forgive and... Forgiven what? And I just told you three things you need to forget. Here's the reality. Humanly speaking, it's not possible. We say forgive and forget, but there's no magical pill you take that makes you forget. Now, sometimes the way the brain works, there are some times where there are major trauma events that your, your, your brain might kind of block out or black out or forget, but you don't get to choose those things. There are things in your life and in mine that that we've done to others or others have done to us. There are some past failures that we've done. There are some past successes. There are some past hurts that you say, Pastor, I agree with what you're saying. That sounds great, forgetting those things which are behind, but I can't. It's a part of my story. It's a part of my life. By the way, the one who said forgetting those things which are behind, you know what he mentioned in his letters? He mentioned some of his past failures. He mentioned some of his past successes, and he mentioned some of his past hurts. We read some of them tonight. He talked about some of the bad things that he did. He talked about some of the good things that he did, and he talked about some of the bad things that people did to him. And then he said, forgetting those things which are behind. So what does that mean when we say a good Christian needs a bad memory? What does Paul mean when he says, forgetting those things which are behind? Well, what the Bible says about our sins, God said, your sins, your iniquities, will I remember no more? Well, God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. Does that mean that he's a a senile grandpa up in heaven that can't remember things? He forgot where he—I'm not trying to be irreverent. He forgot where he put his keys. Is, Is that what that means? He remembers them no more? Oh, no. The idea of forgetting doesn't mean that it's no longer in our brains. We can't erase those things. Here's what it means. It means we choose not to dwell on. We choose not to continually bring to the forefront of our minds. When God says our sins and our iniquities will he remember no more, he chooses when he looks at us not to see our failure, but to see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Does that mean that God is a forgetful God that doesn't know what we did? Oh no, but he has chosen his almighty, infinite power and wisdom for for those that have been saved. He has said, I'm not going to hold that over your head. I'm not going to bring that to the forefront. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you. And when I say, forget your past hurts and forget your past failures and forget your past successes, there's no magical way that whoever hurt you deeply, you just tomorrow wake up and say, oh, I, I never got hurt deeply. Oh, no, that's not possible. What it does mean is that we don't choose to continually dwell on those things. And I think it's why he put those two together. I have a choice. I can dwell on those things which are behind, or I can forget those things which are behind. And the only way I'm going to do that, that's why he put them together, I think, is to reach forth unto those things which are before. I'm going to dwell on something. Is it going to be back here, or is it going to be up there? by forget, we mean to cease to think of, to choose not to dwell on. I'm not going to allow those memories to define me. What you choose to dwell on, Christian, determines your direction. Let me say that again. What you choose to dwell on determines your direction. What you choose to dwell on determines your mindset. It determines your actions. It determines your future. And Paul said, I can live my Christian life looking back here and, and looking at that person hurt me, and they're so wrong, and I can't believe they did that, and I messed up there, and how could I ever let that have happened there, and why did I do that? And wow, that was pretty good. I'm a pretty good guy. Look what I did over there. I can choose to dwell on this, or I can choose to dwell on that. So when we say forget, there's no magical potion. You can just erase it from your memory, but you can choose not to dwell on it, and the only way to do that is to choose to dwell on something else. This week, our high school basketball teams, guys and girls, we, we traveled to Florida for a tournament. And we had a, a cabin. There were about 18 guys staying in a cabin on a, on a campground, a, a junior campground there at the ministry where we were at in Florida. And we were all staying there. And I'm not sure if you've ever stayed uh, in, a, in a cabin, a one, one cabin with 18 um, boys and adults in bunk beds, but that's quite an experience. If you've never done it, I'd encourage you to try it sometime. And we were all in this cabin. And and it was—time differences were a little messed up, and, and we had to bring our own bedding, and I didn't feel like bringing sheets and a blanket, so I just brought a sleeping bag. And I don't know if you've ever slept in a sleeping bag. It's not as comfortable as sheets and a blanket. And so we're here, and I'm trying to get some sleep. And, and literally every night, somewhere around 4 in the morning, I woke up to three or four people, the loudest snoring I've ever heard in my life. And I woke up. I woke up on Wednesday night to some snoring, and then I woke up to uh, one of our, our blessed uh, brethren that were with us. They, they had their, their uh, phone alarm going off, and they, just because the alarm wasn't enough, they put strobe lights on. Remember that, Brother Renee Had strobe lights going from their, uh, their phone. And so I woke up to that alarm, and uh, then I did it to someone else because I got up, turned that person's alarm off. I got in the shower, forgot that my, my phone alarm was on, so I woke up other people. That was Wednesday night, and then Thursday, we had won our games on Thursday, and I knew we were in the championship game on Friday, so I'd been thinking through our game plan. I had watched film, and I'd I'd scouted the team, and I had written down a couple pages of notes and things to try to put our boys in the best position for the championship game, and so that that game was on my mind, and we went to bed Thursday night. I even took a little melatonin on Thursday night to try to sleep a little better. The snoring overtook the melatonin. I need stronger melatonin. About four o'clock in the morning, I woke up. And immediately, one, it was—the first thing I was thinking about, it was like this loud—and it was not just one person. There were three or four. There was some coming from the other room. I don't know all who it was, but there were three or four just harmony of snorings going on in this room. And I, I heard snoring and then snoring and then snoring, and I thought, I'm not going back to sleep. And then immediately my mind started thinking about the championship game. And I thought, if I think on this too much, I will never go back to sleep because I'm, my mind is going to get so occupied with game planning, with scouting, with getting the guys ready for this game. There's no way I'm falling back asleep. It's not going to happen. And so I started to think about my pregame speech and who, who was going to guard that and what defense we're going to try and how we're going to counteract that. I was thinking, and I said, if I don't stop thinking about this right now, I will not get any more sleep. I don't know if I heard somebody say this. I don't know where I got this. I started doing this a couple of weeks ago when I wake up. If I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm trying to go back to sleep and my brain is, is running, because if you wake up and your brain's kind of running on something. I don't know if somebody told me to do this. I don't know if I read this somewhere, but somewhere in just in the last two or three weeks, I got this idea that I should count backwards from 100. I don't know if I made that up. I don't know if somebody has said that, but I've, I've been doing that like the last two or three weeks. So Thursday morning or Friday morning at four in the morning, you know what I did? I had a choice and I started at 100. I started counting backwards from 100 and then I would get, I got to like 90 and 80 and going backwards trying. And I think the backwards thing is because it's a little harder for your brain. I don't know, I, my brain, I think it's a little harder than counting forward, so it'll make me think about it more. And then it'll, it'll take my mind off of whatever I'm thinking about. And every time I would do that, in between every two or three numbers was the world's loudest snore, and I'm like, I'm never going to sleep. And eventually, I think somewhere around 60 or 50 or 40, I don't know, somewhere around there, next thing I remember it was 6.15, and, and I was getting up to go take a shower. And somewhere along the way, I had forgotten about the snoring. I didn't, I wasn't dwelling on it anymore. I had forgotten, if you will, about the game plan, the championship game. I wasn't dwelling on it anymore, and I had gotten back to rest. I had a choice. I could choose to dwell on the snoring and just listen to that. I could choose to dwell on the championship game, which would have, get me, got, would have gotten me too excited and I wouldn't have been able to go back to sleep. Or I could choose to focus on something else, which I hoped would put me back to sleep, which thankfully it did each night, and I went back to sleep. And I think it's a good illustration in our Christianity. You and I, we have a choice. Those things that we weren't expecting that wake us up or that we don't really like. And by the way, I don't like loud snoring at four in the morning. It's not my favorite thing. And, and what we're thinking about, we, we can choose to dwell on that or we, our brains, that's why we call it focus. We really can only focus on one thing at a time. why we call it focus is we can't I can't I can't game plan for a basketball game while I while I share my heart with my wife while I prepare a sermon message I can't do all three of those things at one time I can do one of those things and so for you and for me with whatever it is we're struggling we have to choose what am I going to dwell on I want to give you a couple thoughts and I'm going to wrap it up practically speaking, what does this look like? What are some things I think you can do to choose to dwell, to change some of that thinking? And we could go into a whole message on this, but a a few practical thoughts when you're struggling in your thinking with past failures, condemnation, with past successes, complacency, with past hurts, caution, and cynicism. Can I give you a few things to try to change your thinking? I would say, sounds so cliche, but I would say, number one, read scripture or listen to scripture being read. Scripture has a very powerful, transformative, and cleansing power. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You're struggling with these thoughts of condemnation. Get into God's word. There's life there. The renewing of the mind the Bible talks about. Renewing our minds. Bringing every thought into captivity. And I know that sounds so simple, but you're struggling with some of these. Get into Scripture. I would suggest, secondly, what are some things when you're struggling with with these things? Secondly, just thanksgiving. Stop and remember how good, because sometimes when we're struggling in the present or the future, just remembering how good God's been in our past gives us strength for the day and for tomorrow. God, you've come through there. I would suggest praise. Reading Scripture, thanksgiving, praise. What is praise? Focusing on God's goodness rather than our badness. I can only focus on one. And I stop to focus on his goodness. Guess what? It's pretty hard to focus on how bad I've been or how bad somebody else has been to me. Just maybe it's music, maybe it's prayer, maybe it's walking along the beach, maybe it's but you just stop and praise. You get out into nature, you get out and and you just stop and you sit in your backyard and you just stop and praise God and thank God. And guess what? If you're struggling with some of those things in your past, failures, hurts, successes, stop and remember how good he is. Praise. And I would say lastly, a last practical thought, service. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes one of the best things we can do when we're struggling in our own lives is to help somebody else in their struggles. When we reach outside of ourselves, it's instead of us just turning completely inward, we look outward, and that helps us to realize I'm not the only one struggling. And God, in my weakness and in my brokenness and in my frailty, you can use me to help somebody else in their brokenness and their weakness and look to serve. But you're, you're walking through, and Satan loves to attack us. Our flesh loves to attack us. Our minds, we, we, play, we can start to have these struggles in our minds. And Paul, I think, could have had some of those as well, and he maybe did, as you read some of it. But he had learned a key. He said, if I'm going to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, I'm going to have to forget those things which are behind. A good Christian needs a bad memory oh, you can't come to the altar and magically get rid of all those memories. What you can do is you can choose not to dwell on those past hurts. Choose not to dwell on those past failures. Choose not to dwell on those past successes. You can say, I know that there's going to be more pain, and I'm going to dwell on that, or none of these things move me neither count on my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. I get to let those things move me, or I get to finish my course with joy. I don't get to do both. What are you struggling with? May I challenge you to choose? what, What does Paul say in another spot? Whatsoever things are pure, lovely, good report, worthy of praise. Whatsoever things are true, think on, these things. What are you going to focus on this week? What are you going to dwell on? Those things can lead to condemnation. They can lead to complacency. They can lead to cynicism. But if you choose to dwell on the right things, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, God can give you victory. It doesn't mean you forget them. Paul didn't forget them. Paul talked about it. Oh, wretched man that I am. He remembered what he had done wrong. He knew who had hurt him. Demas hath forsaken me. He knew of the good things he had done. He bragged on it a little bit and said, I'm an idiot for bragging on him. Thompson paraphrase. He remembered all those things, but you know what he said? I choose not to dwell on any of those. I choose to dwell on Christ. I choose to dwell on his calling in my life. I choose to dwell on finishing my course with joy. I choose not to dwell on any of that. I have to forget those things which are behind it.